0: The year was 1871. There's a writer by the name of Horatio Spafford, who was a prominent lawyer and a Presbyterian church elder. Scarlet Fever had killed his son who was four years old. And two years later, in 1873, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday or a vacation somewhere in Europe. And he chose England, knowing that his buddy or his friend, D.L. Moody, would be preaching there in the fall. He was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife, their four children, their daughters, 11-year-old Anna or Annie, 9-year-old Margaret Lee or Maggie, 5-year-old Elizabeth or Bessie, and their 2-year-old Tanetta. On November 22, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on a steamship, their ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel. And 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Spafford's daughters. Only his wife, Anna Spafford, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving to England, she sent a telegram to Spafford with two words, Saved, alone, full stop. Spafford then sailed to England, going over the location of his daughter's death. And according to Bertha Spafford, Vester, a daughter born after the tragedy, Spafford spoke and wrote the very words to the hymn that we so often sing. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrow like sea bells row, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. Well. well Bill Spafford crossed the Atlantic over the very spot that four of his daughters passed. There was something within him that was able to declare that it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. You see, when life throws us challenges, when you wake up in the morning and it's another day to face your boss. Who doesn't really know what he's doing and he expects the most out of you when you're really not the boss, what is it that we're able to say, it is well with my soul? When a doctor's come to you and the prognosis is not good, he gives you a timer on your life that is ticking a lot faster than you thought before, it is well with my soul. Where you don't get accepted to that dream college that you always wanted to, and your parents expected you to make it to, and your whole house is decked out with that gear all the time, reminding you, it is well with my soul. When you wake up to a church and the projector's not working and your notes are on the projector, it is well with my soul. What is it? that we're able to declare, it is well with my soul. I I can't even imagine losing one daughter, nonetheless, four daughters at once. And the haunting message that Spafford received from his wife, saved alone. He goes on to write, it is well with my soul. Church, is your soul well this morning? When life throws you curveballs, when things are challenging, when things don't make sense, when confusion seems to be the norm, and when challenges arise, are we able to say, it is well with my soul? You see, the first point is this. Fear often, fear makes us anxious and immovable You see that the opposite of peace, if you will, is fear. Something causes us to be afraid. Right? fear makes us anxious and immovable, anxious in the sense that some of us fall in this camp, where we are going to try to take things in our own hands. We're going to come up with a plan B, a plan C, a plan Z if it gets down that far, of how I'm going to fix this challenge, the circumstance. Uh, Others of us will will, will decide that it it renders us immovable. We're going to freeze in our step. We're going to halt our plans. Things aren't going to go where we want it to go. And so I'm just going to stop here, frozen in our tracks. You see, fear makes us anxious and immovable. You see, anxiety or anxiousness is is the, the response in which the heart gives to thinking that God doesn't have it all in control. When things are challenging, when things are hard, when things aren't going the way we thought it would go, it causes us to be anxious. You see, in the story we have today, the character is, is he's facing something in his life that causes him to be fearful and which makes him anxious and immovable. If you're your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew's chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we'll be in verse 18 this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. The Word of God says this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. You see, Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, was up against a dilemma. He was walking down the path that he was going to get married to Mary, his intended and so it, 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 it says that he was engaged in a text. If you want to use an old English term, they were betrothed. Who in the world knows what betrothed mean? and so we're going to use engaged. But engagement in the time of the ancient Near East was a little different than engagements today. Uh, maybe back a century, engagements were more similar to what they were to engage in the Old Testament or to be engaged in the scriptural and biblical times was even one step ahead than Joseph got down on one knee and asked Mary for a hand in marriage. But rather, it was that they were decidedly married by that point. They just didn't live together. It was a year for the husband to go get his affairs together, possibly to build a house, to find a place to, to, uh, to, to, to bring his new wife into, uh, a place to get his affairs in line. So Joseph was walking down this path that he was ready to be married to Mary. Well, I mean, that's a mouthful. Uh, he was ready to be married to Mary. Yeah, that's the only way you can say it. So married to Mary, uh, and so he was in a life circumstance that was going down a path. And all of a sudden, word in the street in the town was that Mary was pregnant. Or he knows, at least, that Mary was pregnant. And the text says... In verse 19, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. You see, for Joseph, fear has come to his doorsteps. And he's anxious and he's immovable. He has to come up with an idea. He has to come up with a plan of how to get around this situation. So being a righteous man, as the text says, as Matthew reminds us, He was going to divorce her, but without disgracing her. He was going to divorce her without disgracing her. So in the Old Testament laws, when someone is betrothed or engaged to someone else, and if one of them were found to be unfaithful and infidel, they had every right to break off that engagement because one of them was unfaithful. Now, giving Joseph the benefit of the doubt, uh, he probably knew that this wasn't going down the right path. If she was pregnant, he didn't want this to reflect poorly upon his own character. Which brings us to our second, or 1A point, that the first thing that oftentimes goes in our time of fear and in our times of anxiety is our character. You see, for most of us, it's easy to be in character or of good rapport or good character when life is going well. But when life gives you fear and you're anxious and you're immovable, you're going to find something to work around it. And notice what, for Joseph, here's the point. He was a righteous person because of this. May I propose to you that true righteousness requires compassion and mercy. The true righteousness requires compassion and mercy. You see, for often, for most of us, righteousness is just to get right with something, to, to bring justice upon someone. Most of us probably know how to get even with someone. So for Joseph, he had every right to do so. But the text says he was a righteous person that he did not want to disgrace her publicly and decided to divorce her privately. You see, he could have gone to someone of the law and said, hey, this engaged woman of mine has broken her covenants with us. And the whole town would have known, but he decided, that, I want to go the other way. You see, the law had a stipulation where you were able to just bring two or three witnesses together, and then they could declare that marriage or that engagement off. And things would just go on their own ways. The two of them would just go on their own ways. And Mary would be able to live her life, and Joseph would be able to live his. But it says that he was a righteous person. You see, righteousness must come with compassion and mercy. You see, for most of us, we peg those two things against each other. Where you can be righteous without being compassionate or merciful. Or I'm going to be compassionate or merciful without being righteous. We see, true righteousness is, comes with those things. It includes being compassionate and merciful. So even though Joseph was faced with a life situation that made him fearful, anxious, and immovable was willing to do it in a way that was still righteous of him, to not disgrace Mary publicly. So first point is, fear makes us anxious and immovable. But look what happens to Joseph's story. As he's pondering this plan and this scheme of doing things his own way, verse 20 says this, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying... Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. See, the virgin will become pregnant And give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. The second point is this. God's peace comes. God's peace comes when we trust that God saves us and God is with us. God's peace comes when we trust that God saves us and God is with us. You see, it's interesting that as Joseph was pondering these things, the angel of the Lord came to him and he says, Joseph, son of David. And now, in this appearance of the angels, notice what he says the first words out of the angel's mouth was not, do not fear, or don't be afraid. Because in most instances, when the angel appeared, now, next week, Pastor Chris is going to talk about this in the Mary account that when the angel appears, the first words out of her mouth or the, his mouth or whatever angel gender are. Uh, don't know the pronoun to use for angels, but whatever they are, they will announce to them usually by saying that "do not fear," right? And usually it's about the appearance of the angel that they are not to fear. But notice what the angel says to Joseph. He says, "Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife." So you see, the thing that Joseph was afraid of was to take Mary home as his wife. To to in, in to put in modern terms, to have an illegitimate illegit- child of his. And so the angel says, don't be afraid to do that because what she has conceived or what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God has done this. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the first part of this point is this. God's peace comes to us and we trust that God saves us. You see, Jesus' name to Joseph he would have known was Yeshua. Yeshua was the Joshua name of the Old Testament. See, much like Joshua delivered his people through the Jordan River, Jesus comes to deliver his people out of sin. You see, when when, when Jesus is named Yeshua, or this baby is the name Jesus, and it says, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Joseph is important to the equation because Joseph is the son of David. And the prophecy said that Jesus would come through the line of David, the royal line, the King David's line. And he comes to this no, n- nobody in the town of Nazareth, who's a little poor carpenter, his name is Joseph. And He says to him, you are going to bear that royal line. That you're going to have a child that you're going to adopt into your family because I need that line of royalty through to King David. But he's not going to be your son because he's not conceived by you, but he's conceived the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus' name means to save, that God saves us. So with full assurance, Joseph is made known that Jesus is to be his name, and it says in 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is Matthew interjecting. See, the virgin will will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Here's the second part to this point. That God's peace comes to us when we trust that God saves us, but also that God is with us. And that... Give me an announcement. (laughs) Sorry to disturb everybody. I'm looking for the owner of a brown Fiat A little small Fiat 500 parked in the Morgan
1: lot next to the Morgan Laundry. Any takers? Any takers. Little Brown Fiat. Anybody know who owns a Little
0: Brown Fiat? We probably get eight guys out there and lift it. Thank you very much. God saves us and God is with us. Amen? All right. Peace can still be in the room. Peace be with you. All right. So, God's peace comes when we trust that God saves us and God is with us. You see, it's interesting that Jesus has named these two things, Jesus and Emmanuel. They see, God not only delivers us from our trials, but he will be with us in our trials. Then Notice that when Jesus comes onto the scene, he not only delivers us from our sinfulness, but he says that God's presence will be with us. And as Matthew opens this book so artfully that he says that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God is with us, he also closes this book out in the Great Commission that says Jesus says to his disciples that they can go to all nations, baptizing them to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And he says, surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus not only delivers us and saves us, but he goes with us. He's God's presence with us. That, that, that God, in his holiness, in his majesty, in his sovereignty, in his goodness, he decides to come upon sinful man, you and I, into the world to live the life that we cannot live and to die to death that we so deserve to die. You see, Romans 3.23 says this, that for the wages of sin is death. That's 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, sin demanded a price to be paid. Hebrews goes on to say that without the spilling or the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus, being God himself, descends upon the world through the Virgin Mary and comes with two missions in mind that he is going to save his people from their sins, and he is going to be God with us. Augustine wrote this when thinking about the incarnation or the, the fleshliness of the, the Christ becoming flesh incarnation, right? I think I've said this before. Carne, the Latin root, same as we get carne asada, which is grilled meat, right? So not grilled beef, it's grilled meat, right? And so uh, when Jesus, when God, this might sound radical, when God became meat, when God became flesh, right? So in the incarnation, in his writing, of, uh, it's, on the, it's called, entitled On the Beauty of the Incarnation. He writes this. Augustine, the church father. Man's maker was made man. That he, Jesus, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey. That the truth might be accused the false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood, the strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. You see, the perplexity of the incarnation is that it doesn't make sense. That the God of this universe decides to come as a form of a child. And he could have, he could have done nothing with us, he didn't have to deal with us, but in his grace and in his love, he wanted to connect with us. You see, the scheme of salvation is not you coming to Christ. Is God made His first move toward us? You see that Jesus, in God's sovereignty, decides to deliver and save His people, and to be with His people. You see, it's not us climbing this ladder to get to God. It's, it's not what it's not the self dependence and pull up ourselves on our bootstraps and make our way to God situation. It's not the depending on the natural world to point us to God. It's God came to man, and on. Responding, reflecting to what Augustine says. May we put it this way. That us, the hungry, may have bread. The thirsty, a fountain. Those asleep, a light. That the lost may find the way. The false may live in truth. That the fools may astound the wise. The worthless may find their worth. That the weak may be strong. That the wounded may be healed. That the dead may live again. You see, Jesus didn't come to make good people, or to make bad people good, as Ravenhill put it. But he made dead people alive. You see, he didn't come to give us a set of moral laws and things to live by, just so that we can feel good about ourselves at the end of the day. He came so that he may raise us from the dead. Last point is this. God's peace is the motivation for us to trust and obey. God's peace is the motivation for us to trust and obey. You see, the rest of that section, verse 24, reads this in chapter one. When Joseph woke up, when Joseph woke up, what did he do? When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. You see, there's no surprise that Matthew writes the rest of that section there. You see, for, for Joseph, he understood that his son, his adopted son, Jesus, was going to deliver and save his people, and he was going to be god with us, That he had this measure of peace, but that peace didn't stop there. But that peace was his, was his motivation for him to trust and to obey. You see, for most of us, even though we experience God's peace, we'll stop on the track and we'll stay there. We won't move. We'll remain immovable. We'll remain anxious. But what if God said to you that this is what it is, that I will deliver you through whatever trial I'm putting you through, and I will be with you through the very end of it? Are we going to trust and obey that? See, it says that Joseph got up and he did as the Lord's angel said. He married her, did not have sexual relationship with her. Notice his character again and until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. He was ordered, he was commanded, he was told by God to go and have this child and take him in and name him Jesus and so he does. See, God's peace is not just for us to have this euphoria in life and to sit around and twirl our thumbs until the end of days. But God's peace comes to us and is for us to have motivation to trust and obey. So I'm going to bring it one step further. How do we get this peace? How do we get this peace? According to the Apostle Paul in chapter 4 of Philippians, he writes this. Chapter 4, verse 6, he writes this. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Note this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do we get this peace? We pray. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious about anything. But in everything. We bring it to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We present these things to him. God, I don't know what the situation is. I don't understand this trial. God, this is too hard for me. We make a request known to God. And the promise of God is this, that the peace of God, which surpasses even our comprehension and understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You see, Joseph did not understand the incarnation at that moment. He didn't know what it meant that God was going to come and be with them. He didn't know what it means that Jesus, the adoptive son, was going to deliver them from the sin. You think Joseph sat at that moment and go, the cross and the, oh, the grave, oh yes, it all makes sense. He doesn't have that at the moment. But he clings to the promise that God says to him that his peace will come when we know that he delivers us and he is with us. And when we do that and we make this known to God, the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, even though it makes no sense to us, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. First is prayer, second, to look at our character. First is prayer, second, to look at our character. The rest of that verse in chapter 4, verse 8, says this, of Philippians, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Do what you have have learned and received and heard from me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. When we're able to do whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable to uphold that moral excellence that God calls us to. And whatever is praiseworthy, we dwell in these things. And the God of peace will be with us. You see, for most of us, when we go through fearful times or times of anxiety, we're going to scramble to do things our way. As I said, the first to go is probably our character, our integrity, the way we walk before God and men. But, Paul writes this in the context of relational issues between people. He he tells the Philippian people to make peace with these sisters that are in that church. And he says to them that you are to pray in everything and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will be with you. But notice that then you all strive to do whatever is true, honorable, good, and pure, all these things, commendable and praiseworthy. When we all strive for that, the God of peace will be with us. if we want to experience God and experience his peace, we must know that he delivers us and that he goes with us. That he saves us and he's with us. That he is Jesus and that he's Emmanuel. Would you bow your heads with me? At this time, I want to give you an invitation if anything that I've said in this chaotic morning this morning, and you want to know and experience that peace, that you're sitting in life's fearful circumstances now and you're anxious, whether about now or the future, may I challenge you, may I propose to you that it is only by the faith you have in Jesus who will save you and us and deliver us, and be with us. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're going to make a decision for Christ this morning, if you want to follow Jesus, and to know the measure of peace that he gives, would you pray this with me? Dear God, I know that I am sinful. I know that I've wronged you, I know that I can't do this life thing on my own. I come before you acknowledging and confessing that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus will save us and will be with us because he is God in the flesh. The Father, I understand that by my faith in Jesus I can have the peace that you give even through the turbulence of life i can declare that it is well with my soul